What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey folks, time's running out to buy tickets to the Dog Training Conversations Australian Tour. Chad Mackin and Jay Jack are coming to Australia for the first three weekends in May. Sydney 5 and 6 May, Brisbane 12 and 13, and Melbourne 19, 20 May. There's still tickets available in all cities, as well as some private lessons available with the guys after the seminars on the Mondays and Tuesdays. So if you want to get those tickets, jump over to my website, mskennels.com, hit the services and then seminars tab, and you can follow the bouncing ball to buy your tickets there. People will be mad not to get on it, right? This is a perfect opportunity for those who are wanting to go to seminars where we've got specialists dealing in day-to-day dog aggression, behavior problems, pet dog training, which people have been asking us about all the time, like when are we bringing out people who are dealing with these things other than just sport interested people exactly so that's the guy's bread and butter both of them really work a lot with well exclusively with pet dogs yeah and dealing with behavioral issues and training of pet dogs and a lot of socialization issues as well 100 percent. yeah mm. yeah get on it folks Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, joined by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And today, it's just us for the first time in, what is it, just over a month now? Yeah, it's been at least a month. Before, since we've been in the studio together, uh, just doing the normal show. It was actually funny because while I was away, we tried to (laughs) do a couple of seminars on the phone. And for all intensive purposes, it would have worked. But what happened was... Pat was driving in the car, so there was yeah. like a lot of background noise and any drop in and out of range and we were just... It was a disaster. It was a disaster. And I think, I, well, I don't think I know, I posted a clip on our page of Family Guy where yeah. Peter's trying to call his great aunt and it, it's just a disaster because he's trying to talk while she's trying to talk, which pretty much happened to us. So we just said, fuck it and bend yeah. it. And in both times, there was a period where I was talking for a, like a minute or two and then... You'd cut me off and say, no, nah, I didn't get any of that. And like, <laughs> yeah. Well, what did you record? What did I say last? We'll go back to that and do just, no, nah, it was too hard. It was just getting frustrating and annoying. So we just binned it. It's not that it's not going to work. So what we, we are planning and have got people lined up to talk to internationally. Mm-hmm. However, we'll probably ask them not to travel in the car while we're trying <laughs> to do the recording with them. Not to drive around on freeways <laughs> yeah. while it's happening. So it was pretty funny and, yeah, well, a lesson learned anyway was that if we're going to do a recording, I think we've got to both sit at a desk and contribute the time. But mm. anyway, lesson learned, huh? So for those first two weeks, you're in Fiji. Yeah, first two weeks in Fiji, just taking a bit of a break. I think most people knew that I was there because I recorded a video on our mm-hmm. Canine Paradigm page while I was there just talking about avoiding burnout, which we might actually do a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, Good idea. We might get Birdie in for something like that to talk mm-hmm. about. Give her another task. Yeah, give another her another unpaid task. task. We, we've actually got we've got a few shows that we want to talk to Birdie about, and I think that would be a good one. Is people who have been in any industry for long periods of time who are passionate about it, but it 
tends to weigh heavily on you after a period of time. It's not that it weighs heavily on me at the moment. It was just that I hadn't had a break for a long period of time. We just got through Christmas. For people who don't know my professional background, I work at a and live at a boarding kennel. We've got dogs here all the time and just people here all the time. And it's as great as it is majority of time. It can also be very taxing because living at work and and you're sort of reverse cycle, right? While everyone else is on holidays, that's I'm when not. you must work. That's right. So when they, they all go back to work, you can take time off. Yeah, and it does. It gets under your skin after a period of time because there's just no reprieve from it. Mm-hmm. So you really need a little bit of downtime. So, yeah, we just try and nick off where there's no or very little stimuli where your brain can just shut down for a period of time. And one of the things that I actually like doing when I go away is diving. So I spent a lot of time underwater while I was there and... Did a few really good shark dives, which was just amazing. Mm, I think I, I showed you some of the pictures of the sharks. Yeah. yeah, It's something I have absolutely no desire to ever do, is dive with sharks. It's actually funny because a lot of people say that. I don't think they understand how peaceful and graceful it is actually to, to dive with mm-hmm. sharks. And certainly in a safe environment. And people have said to me, oh, well, what about the risk? Well, there's risk in everything. You can train dogs and get badly bitten by a dog well and truly over being bitten by a shark. Mm. And I had a, initially when I started diving, I actually had an inherent fear of sharks. I was actually terrified of them. And I remember the first time I was in the water, it was actually in the Maldives and a little shark swam by and I thought, oh my God, this is like bad news. I'm in the water with a shark. And we got to the surface and the instructor said to me, you okay, you're like, you were blowing a bit of excess bubbles down there. I said, dude, there's a shark swim around here. He said, yeah, he won't do anything. He's far more afraid of you than you are of him. And he took me out. He was actually a South African guy named Martin, took me out on a few dives where they were in certain areas and we were watching them and he swam over to them and they were like cowardly of him. They just took off and went the other direction. And he said, you you know, you've got to manage your risks in life, which I thought was actually a good saying Mm -hmm. and uh, one that I adopted into my professional life as well because I thought that's actually quite profound. Have I ever told you the story about when I got attacked by a shark? And and no. I, I say attacked with little inverted commas around it. Right. Have you never, have no, never you haven't told me the your shark story. Well, settle in. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. you know, a lot of people talk about, and was it Mick Fanning that actually punched a shark? Yes, it was. So people talk about, oh, no, if, you, if a shark's going to go, you just punch it on the nose and you're good to go, right? No, not this guy. So <laughs> what happened with me? I was in Perth. So I, it was the first, was it first or second? Or, I don't go to Perth a lot. And I think it was like the second time maybe I've been in Perth. And I was actually on my way to Afghanistan. We flew out via Perth and we were stuck there for a few days. So I was at Cottesloe Beach. Now I'm from Sydney. I go to the beach all the time in Sydney, but you don't, you see a fin in Sydney, you get out of the water as quick as you can. I don't, what I didn't know is that at Cottesloe, there's loads of dolphins. Right? And when you see fins, it's not that big a deal. So we're all swimming around. We'll just, we'll laid over in Perth for three days waiting for an aircraft, take us to Afghanistan. And I'm just sort of swimming around and I see this gray fin just past the break. And you went, oh, a dolphin. No, I went, holy <laughs> fuck, that's a shark. Okay. I'm dead for sure, right? Yeah. So I start, and everyone screams, there's a shark, because it's all of us from Sydney that are held up there. There's a shark. So it's a party wave. Everyone is like paddling as hard as they can to get into the beach. So I'm paddling, I'm, and I'm not a great swimmer. I'm a good swimmer, not great. I'm swimming as hard as I can, and I'm not breathing. You know, I'm just like pumping. I've got to get out of the water before this shark attacks me. 
And so as I basically am gassed for oxygen, I turn my head to the right. I still remember as I'm sort of in the swell and it's about to break. And I'm thinking, this is it. Like I'm going to ride this into the shore and I'm going to be okay. I go to take a breath and I see the gray mass come through the swell. Through the rip. Towards me. Mm. And I thought, that's it. Still at this point, I think it's a shark. And this is where I remember thinking, how fucking embarrassing. I am going to be eaten by a shark on my way to Afghanistan. This is going to be the worst story. This is so <laughs> embarrassing. And I've at least I've said my goodbyes to people. It was my first time going to Afghanistan. I was like, at least I've said goodbye to everyone as I'm about to be eaten by the shark. And it did not occur to me in any way, shape or form, like I should try and fight this shark off. I just did a poo in my pants and accepted my, <laughs> my fate. <laughs> and in through this swell comes this dolphin, which this is not as, I mean, it's better than being killed by a shark, but it then molested and essentially violated me. This dolphin came through and actually rubbed itself against me as I was in this panic state through this swell. It hooked around and went back out. I got dumped on the beach and just laid there a shaking mess full of poo pants on the beach and people come running over and this guy says to me hey man you just got raped by a dolphin <laughs> it's like, like well i thought i was being eaten by a shark so i'll take raped by a dolphin over eaten by a shark so yeah that's my shark story so uh, it's not even a shark story it's a dolphin rape story your but name is dolphin fucker now yeah well it was a long time ago. I've, I've outgrown it, but it, I always laugh because you'll be immortalized forever now. <laughs> <laughs> well, until Mick Fanning actually did it when he punched that shark, you hear people say, "Oh no, you just punch him and they'll leave." And it never occurred to me to do that. I just was like, "Oh well, this is how I die. I get eaten by a shark." Instead, you were molested by a dolphin. Yeah. Anyway, so that was a pretty embarrassing. Do you know that encounter. that's not uncommon for yeah. dolphins to well, do I've, that? Well, I've later found that out. Yeah, I've, there's actually YouTube footage online naturally, with uh, a dolphin uh, molestering and trying to sexually harass oh, I've seen that. a lady trying yeah, to get yeah. back onto a boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've seen that. There's, it's actually funny that uh, while, while I was away in Fiji, I was in the room lying down, I was watching National Geographic and or the Discovery Channel, one of them, and it had a lady that was dragged underwater and bitten badly by a dolphin. Mm. And they were it was actually interesting because they were doing a psychological analysis of why the dolphin would actually do that. And when researchers, when uh, the maritime researchers went out there and questioned people and found out why it actually happened, there was a bunch of guys in a boat that were drunk and they were pouring alcohol down its blowhole and tormenting it. So I think that it just became enraged and the next person that saw it took out its yeah, right. aggression on it. So it spilled over onto mm. the next person that saw it. So they actually said... It was highly unlikely. It was a great tourist spot. Dolphins were really friendly in the area. But, yeah, I think they heard it and injured it. And the dolphin just thought, well, next person I get near, I'm going to uh, take That's it out on them. So it was, it was literally within half an hour of the boys tormenting Maybe it. it was still drunk. Maybe it was an angry drunk it of a could, dolphin. It well, could well have been. But regardless, you know, that's what stupid people do. Um, yeah. Play stupid games, get stupid prizes. Well, unfortunately, they didn't win the prize. Yeah. Someone else did. That Exactly. So, yeah, shark diving, fantastic. The guy that I went diving with, I put a picture up on my page. Mm -hmm. His name is Ratu, Ratu Amosi. And he is the next in line for chief of his village. He's world, I don't know if he's world record, but he's certainly the record holder in Fiji of diving. He's done 34,000 plus dives. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. 
like he's part that's why I said to him have you got gills under your ears or something and he just laughed he's actually from the highlands of Fiji so he's a highlander mm-hmm. that came down to get work and started diving and fishing and now he teaches it and now he's the one of the shark feeders in Fiji so he's he's legendary wow and incredible like just loved him he's great to hang out with we spent a whole day together he came picked me up from the resort took me out to the dive location and uh, we had some lunch together and had a bit of a chat and was talking about him becoming chief mm-hmm. so another interesting story in itself because i won't go too long into it but he was talking about when he does become chief he has to give up his job has to leave his village where he is now and go back into the highlands and run the village because he is essentially the head person he's the person who makes all decisions for the for the people in the village their life their marriage where they build houses how they function pretty much day to day they'll be in his hut asking him questions so that's what he has to take over from his father. So he becomes the mayor. Pretty it's much, like yeah. He's the council mayor. type affairs. Yeah, he's pretty much. Of. He is the political advisor or the life advisor, the elder of the village. So, um, yeah, it's a big responsibility. And I said to him, you going to enjoy that? And he said, oh, well, I don't know yet. And I said to him, sometimes heavy is the head that wears the crown, mm. which is pretty much what he's going to do. But oh, look, I said to him, hopefully next time, uh, I come back to Fiji here. I'd love to go back on another dive with you. His daughter works in the dive shop. Sherry, her name is. She's a lovely girl. Got a couple of boys over there. I know we've got other things to talk about, but people in Fiji, I think they're some of the nicest people that you could ever see anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. They say Thailand is the land of smiles. Well, I think Fiji is the land of big hearts and genuine people through and through. Mm-hmm. Like they, I've never felt so safe in a country before. They are just wonderful. They treat you so well. You can walk anywhere around Fiji and people say hello to you. Mm-hmm. They'll actively seek you out to say hello to you, which I think is great. So you had a great time over there. Came back feeling revived, ready to get back into it. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, and, and, well, we fulfilled your commitments to tourism, Fiji. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I look. I'm a big fan. I could happily. I think I could happily live there. Yeah. Right. You okay. know, just I think if I won lotto and struck it big, I could possibly do six months in Fiji, six months here. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. During that time, so I was away from here. You were training PSA as normal with yeah, the guys. Everything carried on. Carried on as per normal, and then butt came out. Yeah. So basically, as you. Day you arrived, I think I was driving down to Melbourne. Mm. So yeah, and Ben Bart was here. Obviously, we did the show with him, which was awesome. amazing. Awesome. We had such good feedback from that show. Yeah, and look, it was a bit of an honour to. I mean, I know Bart pretty well. I've spent a lot of time with him, and to be able to tell his story a little bit, I was really happy to be able to do that, rather than just the rhetoric around the Nipopo system and that. But to be actually able to delve um, into him, yeah, because I think is. I think to a lot of people in dogs, Bart's a little bit of a mythological creature yes and sort of explain you know how he got to be there and because i think i could be wrong but i don't think anyone has been as famous and successful as early as as bart Mm. and and i don't know that anyone has there is now like dog trainers that are i won't say household names but in the dog training world where everybody knows them and everybody is aware of their accomplishments he was probably the first person worldwide to be at that scale well, I think um, the thing with Bart too, Pat, is that he's maintained old school success but evolved in it, yeah. which has kept him current as well. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's one of the most impressive things about Bart is that when you sit down with him or when you actually get to know who he is, he's actually somebody who is constantly looking at the next thing. Yeah, totally. You know, he hasn't just stopped on his success, which a lot of people do. They, they're still doing things they did 20 years ago. Bart's not like that. Like. No. He brings something out. He's already thinking 
two years ahead yeah, for, yeah. The, for the next project. Yeah, 100%. And he's a, like a bit of a mad scientist like that as well. He's always thinking about the next thing. And, and because he has the passion to make the tools, but is a trainer as well, they're, mm. they're all practical use tools. They're a tool for the market that they are going to serve rather than a tool for the the inventor to get rich off of. So, yeah, anyway, but, yeah, we were down in Melbourne, had a, a gold school down there, which is the practical component of the Nipopo course. So that's five days down there, all practical work that went really well. It's the fourth or fifth that we've done in Australia, and uh, I actually thought this gold school was one of the better. Just the right mix of people and dogs at the school. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah, it just mm. – the. Bigger the spectrum and the dogs covering as many disciplines as possible, the better the outcome for the school. Mm. And really all that people get told to do with their dog before they turn up is have ignition. The dog needs to have desire yep. to work. And that's you get taught how to do that fully on the silver school. And all you have to do is to, for the goal, it doesn't need to know anything specifically. It doesn't need to be in training for anything specifically. All it needs is ignition, hope, mm. desire, drive, and for anything and then the training can start. And just about all the dogs there were were in the system very well. And everybody was training for different things. So we got to work on a, a huge spectrum and cover a lot. It, it was really, really good. It was it was an excellent course. I'm really glad. Yeah, I remember speaking to you and you were outlining that, that you were very happy with it. And you just felt like the achievement, like I know you've enjoyed all the schools that you've done with Bart, but you just said this one particularly resonated well with you. Yeah, it definitely, it just had a really good vibe. It, it went really well and just people had done the right work with their dog. They turned up with a dog ready to go. And of course they'd learnt more while they were there and, and found some errors in their prepping as everybody does, mm. but it was good. And awesome. also good news down there was my dog got his teeth x-rayed and they're good to go. They're actually healed, which is fantastic. So we're clear life to start working again. I saw you put a picture up on your own page. Maybe you can post it as yeah. well. Just uh, I saw him on the vet table with. with yeah, I should have posted it on the thing. But yeah, so oh, we can do it now. You can do it as part of the album for the yeah. for the show. Yeah, so oh, we got all. I got the school and everything set up on the Monday, and then zoomed over, had the X ray done, mm. and they said that it's all healed up. They were shocked. They didn't think it would happen. And I said, you know, I haven't even fed the dog. They told me he can't bite anything hard. Right, mm. can't do any bite work. And there was points during the, the three months where I was thinking, I'm better off doing bite work because he's destroying everything. He's so frustrated from not <laughs> doing any biting because I wasn't even rewarding with the tug. Yep. I minimized how much I used a ball. I sort of went to a Frisbee as my sort of main reward, just trying to minimize how much biting you do. Oh, I can see what he's biting when he's here, when you guys are running around on the field and he's just like getting just, anything he can. Just picks up anything yeah. he can to try and bite it. And yep. I was trying to avoid that at all costs. And they, they were like, wow, you did a good job. And, you know, in the last couple of weeks, he destroyed a metal barbecue because he's so frustrated. And I remember thinking when that happened, I was like, you know what? It would be better for him to just be biting a linen or a jute suit. Than a metal barbecue. Than a metal barbecue, <laughs> yeah. right? Hey, I just want to get back onto a topic on Bart again. Mm. One thing that I was really impressed about him was how much equal credibility he gives Michael. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's one thing that I really uh, admire about Bart is for all of the reputation that he has developed, that he is essentially recognizing Michael as being his equal life partner yeah, in everything he does. Yeah. And I think that's that shows truly that Bart is a more creditable character in my mind because he doesn't just hide her away and just say, oh, you know, she's the good wife at home. He looks at her as he loves her. She's uh, a big part of his life 
and he also acknowledges her as being an exceptional trainer and business partner as well. Yeah, and the the modern Nipopo is their collaboration. That's right. 100%. Mm. And Two great minds colliding. Yeah. Mm. And or unfortunately, Michael couldn't come to Australia this time that she was busy, but she was here last time. And, and you see, she's a phenomenal dog trainer. And, and I people send- really enjoyed it. I remember uh, speaking to Jazz and she said having Michael on the course gave it a whole new dynamic mm-hmm. because there were things that Bart would talk about, which Michael would elaborate on. Yeah. And it would give it a... She said it was just... Sometimes it was just extra grease on the wheel. Yeah. And sometimes... As I said, Bart speaks five languages. Michael is American and English is her first language, as she's learning others at the moment. So sometimes she can explain the same thing just a little bit different, help people understand just a little bit better. But has she read Uncle Boomlala? Uncle Boomlala. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, Michael's phenomenal. And like she's the one that I send video. Everybody's got someone that they send their videos to to be critiqued. Yeah. Uh, she's the one I send most of my videos to to, to get feedback mm. on. She's good at critical feedback as well. Yeah, she is. And I think at some stage we'll have her on the show. Yeah, hopefully. Well, the invitation's always there. So when Michael is when available. We, yeah, when we figure out how to dial in overseas yeah. guests. Yeah, I'd love to have her on. She's a very interesting lady, very dynamic. And as you said, uh, a huge component in modern APOPO. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so Remy's teeth. So yeah, got the x-ray. Nearly a thousand dollars later, I'm in the clear now. Wow! Yeah, so for an X-ray, yeah, because he has to be sedated, oh, yeah, he has and to then be, yeah. there's an anaesthetist, and they. The, but he's a specialist, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I don't begrudge them; they got a charge. But anyway, it is what it is. We've got it. Mm-hmm. We've got the all clear. They were shocked. They kind of looked at me and said, "Well, we told you that it was going to go well, but we didn't really know that it was going to. But you've obviously done what we said to do." Did you like, supplement him or anything for that? Like, yeah, there? yeah, yeah. He was on a. A list of things that Narelle gave me. I can't remember the names of them, but he and I was feeding him as raw as possible. Yep. But also because I wanted to keep him off of the kibble and in the early stages, because even though like I feed a fairly soft kibble, it's still harder than raw and no bones, nothing hard. Yep. To try and just give it the opportunity to heal. So what what's happened was is what they did was they they X-rayed and then they measured back to the the x-ray from when he first did it and they can see that the pulp has gotten smaller yep. and that was that's how they can tell so the filling for lack of a better word is still on though it will likely come off now that i'm going to start doing bite work so they to look at the tooth there's nothing you can tell whether it's better or worse there's nothing you can you can see but when they x-rayed it they can see that the pulp they measured that and it is now smaller than it was three months ago which means that it has become shell it, right. Um, so, as we said last time, the teeth harden from the outside in. Yep. So that pulp, the which you can imagine, the inside of the egg has mm, that makes sense has decreased as it became shell. So they yep. looked at that, and then that's all they needed to do. Is they it's go, like yeah, the quick on your nail. When it grows long, the quick grows longer. Yeah. Um, when you shorten it right down, it retracts. Yeah. Right. And yeah, the yeah. nail grows around it to protect it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. There you go. So yeah, they just measured all that and said, "Yep, he's he's done." And then I was like, "Okay, let's go." And then. I said, how soon can we get out of here? I've got a course. I'm, I've got a course I've got to get to. And they said, oh, normally it has to be here. You know. Anyway, they let me go pretty quick. And he was working. Um, that day? Yeah, well, so <laughs> I get him there and we're like straight onto the straight onto the mill doing the, the holding the pipe. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> straight in back into it. Everyone's like, you're an idiot. And I was like, yeah, I know. Well, anyone that knows you well knows that I wouldn't say that you're an extreme person. You have like extreme interests, but you are a stickler for following uh, rule. Yeah. Well, like when people tell you this is how the system has to work, 
you put a lot of effort into making sure yeah, that you're well, following like, it through. When you're paying for yeah. expensive advice, it's, there's no point ignoring it afterwards. Mm, that's for I sure. agree. There's going through all that, like you drove directly down to Melbourne, <laughs> you know, uh, pretty much woke up the whole neighborhood to make sure you could find a, yeah. a suitable person to do it and then spend all that time and money. And I think that was like a two-day trip down and back, wasn't it? Or yeah. three-day trip or something two like day, that. Two-day, we just drove With straight you, down Jane one day. Rip. Yeah, uh, we so. drove down one day, got his teeth done that day and then drove back that night. So it was sort of a just over 24-hour sort of turnaround. Yeah, so why go through all that just to screw it up? Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. So yeah, well done, mate. That's, yeah, thanks. that's great feedback. So, so yeah, anyway, his teeth are fine. So then we're back to the goal school and working on training during the week uh, yeah. and he performed really well as i said everyone at gold school did excellent it was a really good time um yeah. how did uh, sarah weissam go good really good yeah yep really good she's doing lots of little different things with her dog yep and then cheesel yeah cheesel yeah uh, what, what a name yeah. <laughs> um but you know she did a great job and there were a few things that she learned about like holes in her training that she learned on the school and then has plugged them immediately and I've seen we saw the turnaround of in the dog at the school and then, she's a clever little innovator isn't she yeah yeah definitely mm. definitely I've got a lot of not just because I'm saying in the podcast I've got a lot of respect for her because she is somebody who really searches for answers yeah when she's not sure about anything she when I talk about and I have in the past of people who want all the answers but are not prepared to do any of the traveling for it. it's like people who want to make friends but don't network mm. Sarah's the op- polar opposite of that. If she knows that there's answers out there, she'll go. She'll get in a car and go looking for them. Mm-hmm. She's driven up here. She's done volunteering work up here. She's done lots of activity. And I think that that is admirable in anybody. If you want answers, you have to jump in your ship and set sail. Yeah. You've got to get off your, get right out of your comfort zone. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so she did a great job like everyone else. Yeah, it was really good. And Fantastic. And then, as I say, so we finished the school, then me and Bart drove back up here to Sydney, do the podcast with you, and then we we're straight into the silver school for the army. So, as I said, the gold is all practical, all dog work all day, and then the silver school is all theory. So that was for the army guys. And mm. it actually was the probably one of the best ones we've done again because I think now this is it's two years ago nearly that the army first sent guys to a a silver school mm. and the implementation of that throughout this their course has been excellent so the guys turned up extremely well prepped it was same guys no it's a totally new crew of guys but they were prepped by the guys that have done the so previous carryover excellent mm. excellent they've been there so you know they have they run their own course dog handlers course and so now they're they've implemented the system into their course well that's and, terrific that they actually knew enough about it and cared enough about it to carry it through. Yeah. But, so, I mean, that's why they're selected for being who they are really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, look, the thing with, as we were discussing the other day with someone, the, the thing with the – it's special forces guys that are doing it mostly. Yep. And all they care about is being good at their job. They're not hung up on any – Ego. Yeah, or or like this is how we've always done it. Because the Army has a, a way of getting bogged down in that kind of thing. Yeah. But if with the special forces guys, their job is so dangerous that if you can show them – a way to do it better and safer that they're going to bring that stuff on board, which is exactly what the guys have done. So you're like, Oh, okay. You mean I can train this dog to be better at his job and that, and in turn keep me safer. Well, of course I'm going to implement this. And so they have, and so the guys turned up extremely well prepped for the course. They knew the content very well How cool to the that? point where it was really just a confirmation of a lot of different things and yep. then nuanced stuff that really only Bart Bellin can bring to the table, you know? Mm. But yeah, the guys did excellent and then 
you know, they're ready to, to start implementing that in their dogs. And they, they are already a lot of their dogs because they cycle through. Most of the guys that were on that course have dogs that someone else had and was doing the Nipopo system with. So they have no choice but really but to come in and implement it. An interesting point that people have made to me before, and we probably touched on it in earlier episodes, is that people have asked me about people like Bart, for mm-hmm. example, and they've said, but why? You know, like, why the money? Why this? Why that? And as I've said to them, you wouldn't see a doctor for all the same things. And Bart is a specialist. Mm-hmm. Like, when he goes in and he looks at something, he's not just looking at it from, well, let's try this, let's try that. That guy's been around the block so many times and he's invested his life into, well, this is what you've got to do. Yeah. And when you actually see it's poetry in motion, when you actually see it, this is not, I'm not trying to sell Bart schools for him. I'm just talking about how impressed I am with the man. Mm. You know, this guy is just, he is an amazing trainer. He's really invested a lot of time, a lot of thought into it. And like most great trainers around the world, he is somebody who has, to steal his own phrase, a lot of heart and soul Mm -hmm. into what he's actually doing. So he is a specialist. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I think what I noticed especially on that line with the the army guys being all the SF guys, like their dogs, they don't care about points. There's no ego involved. They don't, there's nothing, they're not doing it for like you and I are training the dog. They're not fishing for likes on Instagram. Yeah. And I want to achieve something with my dog. Like Mm. they're like, no, no, this dog is a working tool. He needs to perform this function of finding and biting bad guys, finding and telling me about bombs. That's really their their, their key role. The reality is, is that, um, you don't know who these guys are and you'll never see their dogs. Yeah, that's unless right. Unless they're coming for yeah, you. Yeah, so there's no ego involved. There's no in ego it. involved. And so when I say that they're implementing the system and their dogs are getting better, if if they were implementing the system and the dogs weren't getting better, they'd abandon it in a, in a heartbeat. But yep. they haven't. They're implementing it. They're teaching it to their own guys and it's trickling down. And, and even Bart said they're on their way to becoming, like people are going to be looking at the Australian military working dogs as a, as a top tier in the world because of their implementation of the system. Well, that is a massive compliment. Yeah, big time, right? And that's something that we've been sadly lacking in uh, over years is that we haven't had that fine access to those type of things. Yeah, and and the thing is as well, like being with our quarantine laws and everything, we don't have as easy access to the best dogs. I mean, yeah, I'll admit those guys, they do import most of their dogs, but even still that doesn't mean that it's going to work out six months later when the dog arrives. Well, and so, you can still import a dog and turn it to junk in no time. Exactly. You don't know what it's doing. If that dog thinks I've got an easier lifestyle not doing any of this or you're sending it in an entirely different direction than what it should be sent in, well, it's, exactly. it's to no avail. Um but exactly like works in the Nipopo system with the dogs, the same has happened for them. The pressure of, well, we don't have the opportunity just to sack dogs and bring in new ones. Mm. We have to invest fully and commit everything we can to getting these dogs over the line or getting them to, not just over the line, but getting them um, proficient and usable bias. Uh, then they are and they're doing a great job of it. And so that pressure is what's compelling them to work so hard, I think, and, and do so well. Well done, guys. If you're listening, if you actually do listen to the podcast that is a fantastic compliment yeah it's it's excellent i I was and as i say like being back at my old unit doing it i was like wow i was was just super impressed because i I was there not in the dog cell but i was there three years ago and saw that what they were doing was nothing i was there with you i think yeah we were there yeah but i mean that was my day-to-day job that was i was there all the time and it wasn't anything like what it is now so to have them turn it implement it and turn it around and do such an amazing job 
of it, I mean, well done. I love that badge that you got too. Yeah, the guys gave me a coin. Yeah, I was pretty happy with that. Honestly, that was like I posted on on Facebook just because it. When I was in the unit, you have those coins that you give to people as like a bit of an honor thing mm. when they help you out and that sort of thing. And then that's the first time I've ever gotten one outside. From, yeah, like as a civilian and been mm. giving one. And I, the guy that gave it to me, I'm sure he didn't realize it was just sort of a here you go. But to me, it was actually a really, really big deal. I actually really appreciated it a lot. Well, you're still part of the extended family, really, aren't you? Yeah. Well, that's right. They say they have the old saying C4L Commando for Life. So, yep. um, yeah, that's the idea. Mm. And it, I actually like the design of it. It looked, uh, oh, it's looked fantastic. It looks fucking mad. Yeah, 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 it does. It's great. Super cool. So when you had Bart out here doing the final school with him or the final week with him, we had the good fortune having Jared O'Shea out as well, obviously, with the podcast. Mm. And unfortunately, you couldn't get here just because of how busy you were and so forth, which was totally yep. understandable. We had a uh, great show. Hope people enjoyed the, the podcast. The sound wasn't as amazing as what i'd like just because of our technical issues but nonetheless it was still it's a good cool. episode he's yeah. a funny guy i didn't realize he's very funny and he's very knowledgeable yeah because when you said oh there's a show judge and i was like oh god but he's actually was excellent look to be honest there's no way i would invite somebody to be a part of the show had i not yeah had, yeah you know that kind of invested interest in what they had to say but spending half a day with him and seeing what he was doing at the show and the, the conversations he was having with people, I thought not enough people are listening to this guy mm. and people really need to be listening to this guy. Like I think people who know him really appreciate him, but that man is a very intelligent man. Mm. Like uh, same sort of thing. He's he's a specialist and he's not just rabbiting on just for the sake of it. He is genuinely interested in dog behaviour. He's a true dog man in and out. Yeah, yeah. You mm. could get that totally from the, from yeah. the episode. Yeah. So at some stage, I will be talking to him in the near future about having him actually just come to Australia just to do a seminar because mm-hmm. yeah, I think he's that good. Yeah, cool. Not thinking, think, no. Yeah, mm. that would be, be good. And the anatomy stuff is very interesting. I'm, I'm a bit obsessed with that at the moment in trying to keep my dog healthy and working for as long as possible. Well, that's his forte. Like the whole anatomy thing is he has developed a huge international following because he is, as Neville said in the interview, he's an anatomy geek. Mm. You know, like he spent his whole life looking at their physical design of dogs, how they should move and run, because he believes that if you've got a working dog, a working breed, then you should be breeding to maintain that standard, that the dog can run, it can run well, it has good endurance, good skeleton, and it's going to pass that on to its progeny um, here on. Mm. You know, when some judges are more worried about how the ears of the dog look and how the 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 gum colour of the dog has, in especially in Rottweilers, Gerard is looking at the overall dog. Yeah. And look, that's what we discussed. So I, there's no secret, I, I can't stand the idea that a dog has to look a particular way, that I have a real bias against that. And to hear that a dog has to have the right colour gums to be considered a good dog, that mm. does my head in. But then when I, when I listened to it and I was like, oh, no, this guy is something else altogether he's showing and and it gave me a respect for showing that i didn't have before yeah well that's good because i I mean look i agree with you i I haven't had anything that's worth showing but i'm certainly not interested in it Mm. i don't believe that uh, there are look don't get me wrong there are good people out there who are still trying to maintain an overall dog Mm -hmm. and i have outright respect for them they know who they are they're still friends of mine And there's people who just love the show scene for what it's worth. And as long as they're not doing any anything untoward and and sending the dogs backwards, I don't have a problem with them. But when people have got dogs that are 
like truly fucked uh, in their body and their mind and they're still using them and still mating them and still producing puppies with them, well, they really need to take a good hard look at themselves. Yeah, it's a They're pain. not doing any favours for anybody except themselves, and that is truly an ego-derived position yeah. where they're just looking at it as well, either that or it's a financial one. So, you know, I'm not or accusing both. any... Well, or both, but I'm not accusing any direct person of corruption. I'm just saying generalising that if you're doing that type of thing, you're not doing any favours for anybody. It's, it's just crazy. It is outright craziness to do that type of thing. Mm. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> so that's probably a good time to talk about what we actually intended to talk this podcast. We've done a big wrap up. How long have we been wrapping up? About our... 35 minutes. Okay. So that was a quick little intro wrap up what we've been doing <laughs> yeah. in 35 minutes because Katrina sent us a message and said, I reckon you Katrina should... who? Katrina Hartwell. Yeah. My close personal friend, Katrina Hartwell, who love I love Katrina. She's I love awesome. her. She's the best. Yeah, she's funny. Yeah. Do you see her in memes that she posts she's, every day. She's got the. I, I had to for a little while. My ass off for every li- day. For a little while, I had to unfollow Katrina <laughs> because she was taking up too much of my time. Yeah. As I was following, I was reading and, and looking at everything <laughs> she was posting. And then I missed her and I had to start following her. She again. has a totally bizarre and fucked up sense of humor that I really love and it has uh, uh, like an affinity with me. Yeah, she's mm. the best. Yep. Okay, she says, I reckon you should do a show on what makes life fulfilling for dogs and how people have to be realistic about what they can offer when they choose a dog. Mm, oh, that's a good, that's a good deep question. And, and I wrote back, yep, that's a good one. And yep. now we're doing it. Now we're doing it. This, jeez, uh, that just about comes back off the top of what I just yeah. said about show people. Mm. We always manage to tie it together. It, yeah. When we go on a rant, I usually can manage to go, oh, and that leads us to this thing that we meant to talk about. <laughs> yeah. We didn't just lose control for, for a minute. Narelle always says to me, you take it on a slide and Pat manages to tie it back in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the segue guy. You're the se- Well, yeah, absolutely. I find them. Well, that's a great question, Katrina. And I think that's probably something that could be discussed over a series of episodes mm-hmm. instead of just highlighted. We'll probably just highlight it in this one, but I think this is one that will probably come back to in episodes to come because it's it's a multi-tiered conversation mm-hmm. don't you agree yeah i do mm. i definitely do i think like what i take away from what she's saying is i think first of all people need to choose a lot of people think they want a dog without realizing the amount of effort involved in having a dog and which is a large part of the population which is why so many dog trainers are employed yeah which is why there's so much work out there and, and i think that happens because at the end of a dog's life say if a dog lives to 15 the last 10 years are usually pretty spectacular and you've forgotten about the training part or maybe you were a kid and weren't involved in that your parents did it or whatever and now you're getting your first dog or or a lot of the times what happens is when people get a dog they don't have kids and then that dog, it goes fine and it's all all great. They've got the time and energy to put into that dog. And now mm. they've got kids for the time they get the next dog and they forgot how hard it is to raise a puppy or that sort of, and to train a dog, to make it the dog that you want to live with. Mm. So the first step in, in answering her question is I think that people do need to be more conscious of the time commitment that you're getting involved in to get a dog. And no matter how you get that dog, whether you get an adult rescue or buy a, a green dog or or getting a puppy from wherever and however, you are in for a huge amount of time commitment to care for that dog properly, no matter what breed it is, no matter all the other variables we could talk about in a second, mm. but a dog in general. And if you don't have time, get a goldfish. I think uh, this is what drives so many of the 
welfare involved people get so upset about mm-hmm. and so worked up about because they're very empathetic about the lifestyle of a dog and rightfully so because there's a lot of times where I think you just really started tapping the nail in right there is that a lot of times people think it sounds good mm. so they think about the theory of it and they say it's, it sounds good and look to be honest I've been guilty of this before where I thought it sounded good to have a parrot and I really <laughs> I, I loved having him you know he was great and he was a, a good little man but there's other things that you don't think about during that time as we had a cat and the cat was too interested in the bird, which ultimately was the decision that we had to rehome him is because one day he was going to be murdered by the cat. Mm-hmm. And we did everything right. It was just that I just thought it's too easy for a, like a quick mistake to happen and the bird to pay for it. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to see that happen to him. I actually, I, I really liked him. One of the things I didn't understand about parrots at the time is how demanding they actually are. And they scream and squawk and... Mm-hmm. and it wasn't something that I was prepared for. I thought, oh, they're funny little birds, you know, they sing I'll teach you tricks. Yeah, uh, and, and which I did. I taught him a lot of tricks. Taught him how to stick his wings up in the air. Taught him how to put a, a dollar into a tin. He'd fly backwards and forwards to Narelle and I, and he'd run around with the dogs on the ground and everything like that. He was actually a fantastic bird. But I just I didn't realise that when they have temper tantrums, they scream really loud and right in your ear. They manage to fly over, they put themselves right next to you (laughs) and they just about burst your eardrum with how loud they do it. So those type of things I wasn't prepared for. I didn't Mm -hmm. understand that aspect of it. And there's a lot of people in the dog... Pet dog owners. A lot of pet... Well, prior to being pet dog owners, there's a lot of civilian people who really think to themselves a dog would be a great filler for the backyard. And then they get it. And then they don't understand how much time and commitment there is to getting that dog, which is going back to Katrina's original question, is they have unrealistic expectations mm. of what a dog is all about. They, It's more like they have this thing where they go and see a movie. You know, it might be the truth about pets or something like that. And they think, oh, this, they get this anthrop- anthropomorphic feeling where they think, this is going to be like a cute little fluffy thing that just comes up and loves me and adores me. And then they don't realize I've got shit to deal with. I've got piss to deal with. I've got constant feeding programs I've got to deal with. I've got destruction I've got to deal with. Now, as you said, the last 10 years of the dog's life, if, if it's lucky to stay in the home that time, is the golden years yeah, of the, the gravy. dog. Yeah, it is. It's the gravy. But, you know, the, and it shouldn't be that the, the first five years is tormenting. It should be that the adolescent period, like it is with a child, I bet you and Jane pull your hair out at times where Rip won't go to sleep and he screams and cries and stuff like that. But that's part of raising mm. a child. That and, and you had realistic expectations about that when you were becoming parents. You knew what you were getting involved in. You know, I've seen posts that Jane's had where she's tried, to, you know, like a hostage negotiation with Rip over. <laughs> Did you see I accidentally went Facebook Live the other day having an argument yeah. with him? Yeah, about putting sunscreen yeah. on. Yeah, we were screaming a bit at each other about whether he had to wear sunscreen and I was first time ever Facebook Live from within my pocket. <laughs> yeah. Brent actually called me and he goes, I'm like, hey man, he goes, what are you up to? Like, just have an argument with the, t- with the two-year-old. He goes, yeah, I know. You're, you're Facebook live. Yeah, I, I, like, I heard your, um, your junk rubbing against your phone. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those tricky things. And I'll give you another good example after the bird is Mr. Bean, our cat. Mm-hmm. He is an, you know him. He's mm-hmm. an awesome cat. 
Like he is an absolutely fantastic cat. Again, I've taught him little tricks. He does. He sits in the palm of my hand, and I can walk around with him. He does come when called, like a dog. He jumps up on things when I ask him to. He's uh, he's a terrific cat. But when he was a kitten, he was a friggin' pain in the ass. Mm. He's a Burmese, and I mean kittens are. He could get on things. He knocked everything off, like cats tend to do. Mm. Have you seen that meme where it's got Kim Jong Un? And no. it says, this is how the world ends. And there's a picture of him with the big red detonation button. There's a cat sitting next to it, like looking at it like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, and that's practically what cats are like. But I hadn't had a cat for such a long time. Narelle was the cat person. She wanted the cat. Yeah. I wasn't particularly interested in getting a cat. But let me tell you, now that I've got him and he's gone through that adolescent period, I absolutely love him. He's, yeah. He is a brilliant cat as far as cat goes. He's very compliant. He's very affectionate. He's an intelligent cat. He's just great. Can't talk enough good things about him. But as a kitten, hated him. Mm. Just couldn't stand him. Like I just said to her, I'll just get him out of my way because I'd come, he'd knock everything off on the ground, the dogs would rip it up. So work on the ground, dogs would chew it up. Yeah. You know, pens on the ground, dogs would chew it up. And it was just hard to manage that situation. However, it's like most things in life. Once you start realizing that you've got to manage what's happening around you, shut some doors, take the advice that you would give other people in that same situation, which was things that I wasn't doing. I wasn't following the advice as a trainer that I would give pet dog and cat people mm. who were trying to manage situations. I was just becoming enraged in it and I was having unrealistic expectations, which were creating unrealistic outcomes for me. It was really stupid. Mm. So, But once I did do that and started thinking, well, hang on a second, I'm not swallowing the same medicine that I'm prescribing for other people for the same yeah, um, yeah. ailments. Once I did, problem solved. Yeah. And it became better and better from there as well. Yeah. So I think the point is, Commit to getting the the dog and commit the time and understand what you're going to be involved in. Like I admit, I get I get a new puppy every year and have uh, at least one a year for, you know, a while now. And the first few weeks are hugely stressful and I've got a, I've got a system down and I do it like professionally and I know what I'm doing. Mm. And even then I find it hugely stressful. Whenever I pick the dog up at the airport usually... That drive home, I have that sinking feeling in my chest. Like, oh, this is going to be I, two weeks of hell. What have I done? <laughs> yeah. Like, why did I do this? Why did I agree to this? Why? Why? And then, you know, I've got everything set up. I've got a little kennels. I've got all the crates. I've got the whole system. I know what I'm doing. But even I am like, oh, God, do I really want to have to do all this time? And to do it properly, obviously, like I could do it not so well, like people do, and just not have time for their dog and create a monster. Mm. But I just think, oh, my God. And then... And then I'm stupid and I forget about it. And when I'm in Melbourne, Sam says, are you going to take one from next litter? And I'm like, yeah, of course I am. And then I'm like, oh, what have I agreed to? Why have I done that? Yeah. The barking, the crying, the... Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the change in dynamic now because there's a new being in the house that changes everything. Yeah. Every, and all the dogs like get to restructure and realign. Well, it's a whole new level of arousal, isn't it? Once yeah. you bring a new animal into the house, they want to see it. They want to know what's going on. Yeah. It unsettles them. The barking starts. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, things that would normally not happen in the household, all of a sudden it shifts the paradigm there. Yeah. And you just like having a newborn. You've got to get up a couple of times in the night. Like you cannot, you can just stick the dog somewhere and sleep through the night. But then you've got to deal with the aftermath. Yeah, you've got to deal with that problem. And yep. and so then you've got to clean up after the dog, obviously. And then you've also just taught a dog to shit wherever you've left it instead of taking it to the correct spot and giving it the right opportunity. So like to do it properly, it's a lot of work. And yep. 
I think we've probably covered that pretty extensively mm. that not to talk people out of getting a dog, but to just be aware, like, this is what you're going to be in for before now we can then talk about like breed selection and fulfillment of why you should get a particular type of dog and your, what would you say, your ability to give it the life that it probably wants or deserves. Part of the layer of what Katrina's asking is, for example, her words are realistic about what they can offer when they choose a dog. Yeah. Well, let's use, for example, a male, Mm -hmm. okay, which have all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but over the years, they weren't very popular, but now that people realize their potential as a working dog, Mm -hmm. they have started to see that they fill a lot of gaps that people have been missing, but they're not an easy dog to live with, Mm. which people are also finding out. So that has to be part of the realistic expectation that people have got is that this is a high-end dog, but it also requires a high-end lifestyle as well. Mm. Like It's pointless. And again, it gets back into one of these things where people go out and get uh, a Border Collie. Mm. or a Kelpie or a hybrid of the two and put it in a domestic situation thinking that this is going to be a happily ever after affair and they have no stimulation preparation for the dog. Mm. Like there's no ability to herd. There's no ability to work. They're not taking the dog out for long runs or doing, you know, they're, they're living a professional lifestyle where it's a, a normal nine to five life. They come home, they think that giving the dog 15 minutes of a bit of throwing a ball around is going to suffice. For some dogs, absolutely. They're happy with that. They'll take what they can get. For the dogs that I was talking about previously, those type of working style dogs, they're just thinking, no way, dude. This mm. is not going to work out. Yeah. And it's like somebody who has adapted to a sporting lifestyle, especially for people who've got kids who've got a tenacity for a sporting lifestyle and then trying to lock them up. Well, they just pace around the room going crazy. They're they're constantly bored. They constantly need stimulation. These dogs are going to get the same type of... They're going to give you that same type of attitude and same type of problem. Before you know it, you've got a dog that's climbing the walls. And it's looking to... It's leaking. There's problems. It's barking. It's ripping things to pieces because you haven't fulfilled your obligation to the dog. Yeah, I think we've spoken about that before. Like So many times. You and I both have dogs that would be totally unhappy and unfulfilled in a pet dog home. And yeah. they'd, be, they'd be at the vet, they'd be being medicated, they'd be unmanageable, they'd be candidates for euthanasia or at least uh, suppression for their whole lives. But people... The breeders of those dogs actually spent a lot of time, energy, effort designing and money dog. designing them that mm. way to put them in the right home. So I asked for that dog. I knew what I was getting into. Yeah. I mean, you know, Randy hasn't got an off switch. He's constantly looking for something to do. Yeah. Even when he's a sound asleep, the slightest bit of stimuli will have him snap to his feet. Mm. He's immediately thinking, oh, oh, there's something happening. I've got to get involved. Yeah. Where I've owned other dogs where they'll just sort of pop their head up, have a look and go, oh, bugger it, go back to sleep. And so not all dogs are like that, right? So if you want a German Shepherd, for example, then you need to be able to fulfill that German Shepherd and give it the type of life that it wants and desires and can manage. Mm. And if you just want a a dog, then that's not the one for you. If you want a couch potato that's going to watch TV with you and he's going to barely get up off his mat to come and greet you when you come home. Get a Gordon Setter. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Do you know Animal Planet has a pretty good resource? We've got a link to it on our website, I think. I'll find it and put it on Facebook because... It's a like online questionnaire about your lifestyle and what pet would suit you yeah, best. Yeah, what dog would breed would suit you best. Is it dogs or breeds overall? It's 
breeds overall. It's all, it's only dogs. Yeah. Mm. So I remember, I, it's been many years since I've looked at it, but I could find that and put it up because I remember thinking it was pretty good. And I remember I did it, like answered it sort of non-truthfully in a few different ways and came out with some pretty good options in that, in that way. Because there's awesome, awesome catch potato dogs. Could uh, you imagine if your life was dependent on what entertainment value you offered somebody? Like if, if you fulfilled a... And I mean, human beings have suffered over this type of thing as well. You mm. know, slavery and prostitution and all sorts of shit that people have endured over eons of time. But mm. could you imagine now, be you being you and me being me, or people who are listening to the podcast, if your life was, uh, it evolved around how someone determined what you fulfilled for them. So, <laughs> <laughs> there's another story in this, isn't there? Well, Hopefully it doesn't involve a dolphin. <laughs> well, you know, talking with army guys last week, like, Enlisted men are the playthings of officers. Mm. And there is a there's a certain parallel involved in that. In that you're saying the way it works in the army is like you're in your job for as a digger. Like if you join as a private soldier and go through all the way to warrant officer, you you're in your job for basically that whole time. You might do a training posting or whatever. Yeah. So if you're in the platoon, say in one of my platoons, I fulfilled every job from digger in it like team two IC, team leader, and eventually platoon sergeant. So every role that I could perform in that platoon, in the same platoon, um, an officer gets two years as a platoon commander. That's it. So we call it the train set syndrome. So it's like, this is my train set. I'm going to fucking play with it for the two years that I have it. and Because yep. I, I don't get to play with this train set ever again afterwards. So God damn it, I'm going to play with it until it's broken. And they don't realize that, the next, it's the same train set the next guy's going to play with and he's going to play with the same. So it's a it's a stretch, but I immediately <laughs> thought that when you thought like there for the amusement of others, mm. I, I feel like I have done that to an extent. Um, you bastard. <laughs> I shake it down. Um, but yeah, um, I think that breed selection is plays a huge part and then not just breed selection, but lines within that as well and people probably don't realize that say for example springer spaniels i've used them as an example all the time in that a show line springer almost doesn't resemble a, a field bred springer at all they look like two different dogs and they act like two different dogs altogether. i love springers i've got one i'm in the springer spaniels australia group yep uh and the the range of dogs in there is huge and there is exactly that there's people whose dogs can barely get off the couch they're so low, low drive and they're mm. there and that's what they want yeah and then there's people with dogs like me that can't sit still for any period of time uh they're the same breed but completely separate in their their form and function because they're different lines altogether. And and so it's not enough then if people are looking for advice, oh, what kind of dog should I get? Then to say, I'll oh, get this breed because there can be They those fall polars. into so many different categories within yeah. the same breed. Yeah. And every dog is different as well. Every dog is his own unique personality. That's very true. And I think on top of that, there are people, like let's take the German Shepherd, for example. Mm -hmm. There was a one of the founding people in the German Shepherd Club, Max von Steppenwitz. I think he's or Steppenwitz or whatever, how you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. He would probably roll in his grave at the moment, like do triple backflips if you saw what was produced out of the German Shepherd dogs in certain things because people have selectively mutated and bred the dog to be hmm. not what it was designed for. I think that's somewhat of a shame. I don't think the dog has to be a consistent working dog through and through in every single aspect of its life. So everybody has a Randy because 
German Shepherds would quickly diminish from the planet if every dog was like Randy. Not saying Randy's a bad dog. He's a great dog. I love him. Yeah, but he's but not a pet dog. He's not a pet dog for people who just want a quiet couch potato because that's not him at all. He's and, 100 mile an hour wherever he goes. And the problem is, though, you could turn him into that, but the process would be horrific. It's horrific and it's not what I wanted for him yeah. because my expectations of that dog was to let him be a bit wild and free, Yeah, which is who he is in personality. I mean, it would be totally going against his DNA grain to try and modify him and change him from who he is. Yeah. And as you said, it would be a horrible lifestyle for him because yeah. he'd be constantly in... And he'd be trapped. He'd be, he would be. He'd be trapped and it would break him as a personality. So I can live with him. People have seen him before and th- said, wow, I didn't realise he had that much energy. He's always energetic. He's always active. But I love him. Mm. He's perfect just the way he is. He's exactly what I asked. He's breeder Lee Robinson. We spent time on the phone together and time emailing each other. And what he is, is what I asked for. And she delivered me the perfect dog as far mm. as I'm concerned. And look, he's a pain in the ass. Sometimes I could kill him. You know, <laughs> I could. There's so many times I look at him and I just smile and I think you're an awesome dog. Yeah. And I really have a lot of affection for that dog as well. And you work him. You and com- I work him. Like you compete with him. You're a professional dogman. You live at a boarding Correct. kennel. So it all falls into line for me. Yeah. Everything that the reasons he is who he is and why he does what he does is because it all fell into mm. a sweet spot. And that doesn't work for a lot of people. They get a dog like Randy or they get a dog like Remy or Val who is just a busy little bee all the time wherever she's going. We've talked about her. Everyone knows who she is that knows you. Mm. She's in your series as well and she's an awesome dog don't get me wrong but for a lot of people they just think oh this is just way too much yeah she's chasing shadows and dust bunnies and all sorts of things that are flying around near her it just drives them crazy but if they did their research into what a lot of spring spaniels are like in behavior they'd realize they're busy little dogs on the go yeah little hunters they're little hunters there's a lot of people who just make really Poor selection choices on their dogs. The Jack Russell's one that I see a lot like that. Like people see they've got like an old man that's got a little Jack Russell that's also an old man that follows them around and they go, oh, that's a perfect dog. And then they get one. They've got this little rat killing machine. Crazy little dog. Yeah. yeah, That has so much courage that it's just like wants to kill everything that moves and you're like, oh, this is a good one. You've got a good one. This is, <laughs> this is great. Uh, they're like, no, no, I want a little catch potato that does nothing. I say, well, you're going to have that in like seven to ten years. Mm. <laughs> well, I think that one of the, the best things that people could actually do in dog selection would be to make informed choices like buying a pet, any type of pet, and again, this is probably earlier preach words, but it should be resonated ongoing in any pet industry is do a little research. Know what you're actually actively getting involved in. Mm. There's plenty. I mean, I often scorn a lot of people for not doing research when we've got both of us are sitting here holding iPhones. Mm. We have abundant information at our fingertips that people ask questions. Like people ask me questions all the time, like what's this and how does this happen? And I'm thinking, did you Google it first? Like you've got a world encyclopedia with some of the most prolific information that you could have ever that we, you and I didn't have as, as young children. Mm. Children are born into this age now where they all have to do is look and do a, like five minutes of searching. Mm. They'll ask you the question so you can Google it for them and mm. then give them the answer to it. Mm. And I think, seriously, dude, like haven't you actually taken five minutes? Is five minutes too... Well, you and I look at this and go, 
this amazing device carries all of mankind's knowledge and I keep it in my pocket. This is amazing. But a lot of people look at this thing and go, this is my vessel to argue with people on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) It's my meme generator. This is how I make memes. And this is where I find strangers (laughs) with slightly opposed opinions to me and I call them fuckwits. That I can go home and boil over for hours instead of shut them out of my life. Yeah. Look, yeah, I think we've covered stuff. it. I think we've covered that. We've answered Katrina's question in, or not her question, but we've pointed out what she wanted to point out. Yeah, we first getting a puppy or getting a dog is a stressful experience for even for people who know what they're doing, and then you need to choose, research it, spend time. Yeah, and you know, if you uh, choose that you're going to do it, if you think that you're set up, make sure you get a dog that suits your lifestyle and be realistic about what you can what you can provide that dog. Don't if don't get the don't get a dog on the idea of what the dog can do get the dog on the reality of what you can provide for the dog and i will say something on this sorry jason Furman, but i'm going to talk about dobermans <laughs> now i have respect for any good dog that is a good dog mm-hmm. doesn't matter what breed it is mm-hmm. I, um, I love dogs from whatever dog they are now i was heavy set on getting a dobe right up until the time this was when i was a young guy because mm-hmm. a, a movie called the amazing dobermans or something like that where these dogs were running across buildings and apprehending people and i thought these dogs are just mad until i actually went and did some research and spent time with some dobermans i thought they're nothing like i thought they were mm-hmm. as a child i originally had a german shepherd and we grew up with german shepherds and then we went my sister for a period of time her boyfriend had a doberman and you know, I thought pretty awesome pup. It had cropped ears and tail and because you could do all that back then. It was mm-hmm. legal and uh, it looked awesome. You know, I looked at the dog, and I, but I didn't spend much time with it. But then I wanted to get a dobe. I left home. It was Dobermans, Dobermans, Dobermans. And then somebody said to me, have you actually gone down to the club and spent time with people who have got Dobermans? And they were chalk and cheese in my mind. Mm. And right there, because I actually did the research, rather than just get one and just think, oh, I'm not happy with this dog now. I went and spent time with people, went and spoke with them, went and did some field work with it and looked at it and just thought, this is not what I actually thought it was. What I actually wanted was a Rottweiler. Mm. Everything I was describing, because somebody said to me back then, everything that you're describing is probably a Rottweiler or a Shepherd. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go and spend some time with those? Went and spent time with some friends who had Rotties. They had a couple of working dogs, looked at them, just thought, I immediately fell in love with the breed. So from there, I just developed a, a kinship with those type of dogs. Yeah. And they suit my personality as well. Yeah. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> yeah. But off the topic of Dobermans, people say to me, oh, you're a Mallee guy, but I'm not really. Like, I, I prefer Springers, but the thing with the Mallee is what it brings to me. You can't do me, PSA with a Springer. Yeah. Well, what it brings to me is I like to train and they like to be trained. Yeah. And that's it. Mm. I like dogs that have boundless energy. Because I'll make the time, even when I'm busy, I'll make the time to do the training and do the work. And what I don't want is a dog that's like, no, I like a low drive because I like to do things that are high drive with the dog. And so it's not that I'm like, oh, I like Mallies and I don't want it. If you could put that package into a, a pity body, I'd be like, oh, this is the best dog ever. Because mm. realistically, like my, like I wanted a American pity. I reckon they're, I like the look of them. I like their temperament, but I like to work dogs. And I, the chances of finding one that works as well as a Mali, just astronomically small. I mean, it, of course it exists. There's dogs out there, but mm. my chances of getting one are not good. But as, as I said before, a good dog is a good dog. And I've seen some amazing dobes before, but mm. it's just not the breed that I wanted to have. Mm. But I know people who like Jason and other people who have invested a lot of time and energy and effort into the breed. 
They love the dogs. And glory be to thee. Mm. Here's some speculation based on no fact. So okay. why not? We'll put that out there yeah, as, absolutely. as evidence. I, someone told me the other day, you know, there's that sickness in Dobes at the moment. There's a, Cardiomyopathy or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So apparently that can accompany um, like a hemophilia in puppies. So, you know, where you can't sort of coagulate blood and you bleed to death. And that disease has now become more prevalent because they don't dock ears and tail and tails. And so the puppies that were carrying it prior wouldn't survive the ear docking and tail docking. Do you reckon there's any truth to that? So now it's prevalent and a lot mm. of them have it because they're not docking that and they don't get exposed as puppies. I have no idea whether there's I any do, truth I, in that. I if anyone knows. Yeah, if anyone knows and have got some any genuine and factual advice on that, love to know because I don't. Yeah, any rumours as well. I'll, I'll take rumours. Rumours? <laughs> so I'm throwing them around. <laughs> it's all right to just put out ridiculous nonsense as long as you say that you, you think it might be. That's right. But someone yeah. told me that and I thought, oh, that would that sounds like it could be very true. If there's no meme attached to it on the internet, it's then probably not true. it's probably not true. Yeah. If Abraham Lincoln didn't say it. <laughs> yeah. Or John Luke Picard from Star Trek. It's not, not true. Not true. All right. Cool. So that's Katrina's. So then the other hey, question that we've... Thanks for... Thanks for... There's been some really good questions. These were just two that Pat and I selected. So we will do the occasional readout of good questions that are a bit thought-provoking. So mm-hmm. if you do have them, by all means, send them in. Because we're getting... Pat and I were just talking in the kitchen before we started the show and we're actually getting a lot of really good feedback from the show from people. Mm. Like far more than I thought with some really good questions, some really good pointers and even some good suggestions on people to have on the show or so forth. So, Mm -hmm. loving it, guys. I'm really... The feedback has been very generous and and much appreciated. So, this one's from Tracy Mammon. Uh, She says some stuff here, but then she says, I have a question. As a newbie to the industry, I'm not yet a competitor in sports such as IPO, Mondio, PSA or the like. Is it still worthwhile to attend some of the many seminars featuring the top trainers in those sports or is there something else we should be looking at to better serve out growth and knowledge in the early stages of a career in the dog training industry? There's something for everybody at every seminar. Yeah. And that's my way of looking at it is that we've had people out here before and I'll again, I'll use Mike Suttle as a, as a point. Not many people in the early days knew who he was and all of a sudden because of the information and who he is as a trainer and what he's done, people have said, oh, I'm so disappointed I missed the seminar. Mm-hmm. And that happens regularly. Like, don't get me wrong. I've, I've been to seminars. People have come out here and I've thought, oh, that was actually pretty ordinary. There was a lot of just waffle and nonsense going on in the seminar. Mm-hmm. However, I've been to seminars before where I haven't had high expectations. And I don't mean this with any disrespect, but I didn't really know much about Mike. I hadn't done much research on him. Andrew contacted me in the early days when he was organizing to bring him out and said, oh, I've got a guy called Mike Suttle from Logan House coming out. Can we use your facilities? I said, sure, mate, no problems. Let me know. Came along to the seminar and as soon as Mike was half an hour into it, I thought, fucking hell, this guy knows what he's talking about. Like, Quick, get your get your pocket, turn inside out, let me hang on to oh, it. definitely. Definitely. Like I was immediately impressed with what he actually knew about it. Yeah. And, I, and there's been scores of other people who have done seminars like that where I've thought, and Gerard O'Shea, he mm-hmm. was, you know, like spent a small amount of time with him and I thought he is very unknown in the, probably in Australia, mm. not, not so much overseas, but in their own field, they're very well-respected people and very well-known, but just, and just because I don't know who somebody is doesn't mean they're not cherished and loved, but 
just after spending that time and actually having access to their information, you just realize you're on onto somebody who really is mm. enthusiastic and well informed and has a lot of practical knowledge. I mean, there were you know Pat yourself. There's tons of people out there who talk who talk big talks, and they they're more fishing for likes. That's what they're doing. They're like farmers. All they're doing is is just talking up a big storm. But when it actually comes to practically doing something, it's just rubbish. And I know that sounds pretty harsh, but that's the reality of it. Where there are people like some of these great men and women out there who are running seminars, and you just think to yourself, "Holy shit." This is just a, an information overload storm of just fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you're asking if you should attend some of these seminars, my answer to that is absolutely yes. I mean, you should be following along the line of something that you're specifically interested in, but there's definitely nothing you can lose by going to a, a great seminar because there's so much information on behavior. Like I know people who have never been involved in any working aspect whatsoever have gone along to working dog seminars and said that was one of the best experiences I ever had. Mm. Not that I'm going to do anything with it, but the information that came out of it, like access to actual behavior was just phenomenal. Like getting to see it, getting mm-hmm. to experience it. And it follows on to other questions that they might have had about aggressive style of behavior and how to manage it. It's changed lives. Mm-hmm. It really has. In my mind, there's nothing to lose from going to them. Yeah. I think that you should go to every seminar and training event that you can practically. Definitely. For the first reason that uh, networking within the industry, I think, is very important for a couple of reasons. First, you can learn like who's a specialist in what field and maybe take some info away from them. So everyone that's attending the seminar, of course, there's whoever you're seeing, that's who you're going to learn from, but you talk to everybody there. And so you need to know who's who in the zoo and who you can give referrals to and who you can For learn sure. from. And I think that's very important that, you know, you know, if I get, if someone calls me cause we, you know, we just have a, a com website, we get, I get inquiries from all over the world, people who don't realize that we're in Sydney. Australia. Yeah. And so, but I know certainly all over Australia who I'm going to put them in contact with when they do. And even then for nuanced problems, I know who in, I might have three or four people in one city that I, other than this one, and depending on the problem, I'll say, oh, okay, this person's going to be better at it. And you only know that by meeting those people at those events. Mm. So I think that's a pretty good reason in and of itself to go to those things. And then look, the same thing happens as well. If you're training dogs, those same people meet you and you get to bring your dog out if you've got a working spot or whatever, or show your knowledge and prove that you have some worth, some skill. I remember when I met the, actually here, when I met Brent and Kat, at Hans and Esther and I brought out Val and then almost immediately you get referrals from those guys because they're like, you, okay, we... You, you can do the work. Yeah, we've seen you and your dog. Yeah. So now we're happy The to, networking is fantastic. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's there's totally nothing necessary. better. Yeah. And I, I think that if you're going to work in the industry, when you finish your NDTF, if that's your goal, you want to work in the industry or you really... Everything's referral-based in dogs. Mm. You can advertise as much as you want. None of that will be anywhere near as effective as someone saying, hey, talk to this person. Word of mouth referrals in this industry is what makes the world go round. Mm. And the best way to network is at all those events. So that's the first reason why you should attend everything that you possibly can. That's a good one. The networking is brilliant. Yeah. And the second one is like, obviously, if you intend to work with pet dogs, you should focus. Everyone has limited time, money, resources. So you should focus at those type events. Mm. So for someone who's not a competitor in a drive sport, i.e. like IPO, Mondio PSA, as, as Tracy said, then 
attending seminars that are geared towards behavior and pet dog stuff, exactly like with Jay and Chad coming out, that's, that's the perfect, op- that's, I mean, to plug guys I'm bringing out, but that's exactly what you should be focusing on. That's why on. you're bringing them out because that's, there's yeah. a demand for it that's and it. people are saying, we don't want to be just the, the working dog guys who are just bringing working dog people out yeah. because, I mean, that's a, a limited field of people that will reach. Yeah. And understandably, like I'm just finished up saying that you should go to all these seminars, but co- like constantly doing them when you have no application for them, that will run pretty thin over a period of time because you'll start realizing, well, a lot of the information, even though it's it's relevant, is more relevant to somebody who's going to be a, a, yeah. a long-term competitor. Like there's a lot of really good IPO people that come out that I don't go to their seminars, not because I don't have respect for them as being brilliant trainers and, and brilliant educators. It's just that I'm not competing in IPO. Yeah. So, so if it's extremely nuanced, then it's like if it's going to teach you a perfect retrieve for the dumbbell, if that's what they're going to focus on, then it's probably not worth your while because you or don't it need might. a – Yeah. But you don't need a perfect retrieve in your dumbbell. But there, you might learn some tricks from that that – It goes back to that you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So to focus your energy, I would say, like exactly as I'm saying with the dog training conversations guys, they are experts in socialization. I don't think anyone that I'm aware of knows more or does that better than Chad Mackin. And rehabilitation of like bully breeds, J-Jack, there isn't anyone better around that I know of that's doing that. So It's a great combination of the two. Exactly. And to face in Australia, this is exactly the issues that, Australian dog trainers see this is the bread and butter. This is what I deal with with pet dogs on the day to day. And that's why I contacted those guys and said, hey, come out because there's things I want to learn from them. And there's, there's certainly things that I think that lots of Australians can learn from them. Yep, definitely. But then on the same token, I bring out Bark Bellin as well. And it's a totally different market, totally different, totally different set of people that we're, of course. we're pushing to. Yep. But that's not to say that there isn't something in both of them for everyone, but pick and choose I guess that's mm. that's that's my point and and you just don't know what you don't know so I would go to as much as you possibly can mm. but with limited time money resources focus it towards uh, things that are nuanced in what you think you'll get your best return for have you just learned what that word means nuance yeah no yeah. I, I don't know what it means <laughs> <laughs> I just like to use it yeah, and that's sage advice too. That's really good advice. I think mm. to conclude on that, that is something that I would support and recommend as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well done. So, mscandles.com, hit the seminars tab. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point in not plugging if you can't? Well, exactly. But it's, um, it's well worth it. I was, uh, as people know, I've been, just before I say that, I'll just get back to another point that I tell people on Tracy's question, I'm a motorcyclist as I make abundantly clear to a lot of people Mm -hmm. because it's a passion of mine. So it's something that I do to help relieve stress and something I really enjoy. I've got a whole different set of friends that ride bikes. One of the things that was told to me early in the piece and one of the things that I quote now to new riders or anybody who talks to me about riding is always buy the best gear that you can afford. Mm -hmm. And I say the same thing to people in dog training who are interested in developing a career is always attend as many different things as you pretty much summarized before mm-hmm. as, attend as many different things network with as many different people as you possibly can open yourself to ideas and after a period of time you will have access to some great information out there for and you'll meet some fantastic people some of the some of my best friends some of the people that I cherish being 
spending my time with are people that I've networked through, like you, for example. I mean, I met you at Hounds and Esther, mm. and whoever knew that you and I'd be doing a podcast show after all these years, mm. having just caught up with each other at a seminar. Mm. It's developed into a friendship. We train together, hang out together, talk a fair bit, do a podcast show, and that simply became through networking at a seminar. Yeah, exactly. Mm. The, and that, that's exactly why I try to get to every event that I possibly can. Mm. You, I've... I've never attended any seminar and not walked away with at least something new in my toolbox that yep. I've gone, oh, yep, cool. I see how you're going to apply that. Yeah. Even, no, there, there isn't a single, every single event, there's something I see that I- There's value easy, in it. Yeah. It's easy for people to say, maybe you'll learn something you don't, you're not going to do, but I've never, I've never been in that situation. Every single event I've ever been to, I've gone, oh, yeah, I see what you're doing there. Like, I like that. And I can see how I can adapt that into my program or mm. I can take that directly into my program. There's a good old saying that every cloud has a silver lining. Mm. And it's the same thing about seminars. I've been to some seminars, as I said before, I've been to some that I've just thought most of the content is pretty ordinary or if it's not, it's just things that have just been echoed out of a textbook that I've read somewhere. However... There's always something where I think, holy shit, they've just mentioned something I've never heard before mm. or I've never seen that demonstrated like that before. And it's something that you can always add. I know I've said this before and I'll say this 100 times into the future. That's where the real value goes. But you have to be there. You have to be present. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, I think we answered the question and I think we've probably waffled for long enough. Yeah, we have. And it was just a, a good chance for you and I to catch up really. Yeah. All right. I think we should go train some dogs. Absolutely. All right. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can do that via Facebook. Send us a message. We've been getting quite a lot lately. So that's great. We love the feedback. Yeah, it's been great. And and share the show too. Yep. Share it around. That's it. Glenn, cue the music.